Yes, it is a suit jacket. Yes, I do own it. And yes, it's for Mother's Day, not for Jesus or you Philistines. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. Now, one of the things that we uh, like to do at Desert Springs, well, we don't like to do it, but we uh, intentionally do here at Desert Springs, is we strive to have hard conversations. We believe that Jesus transforms every aspect of our life, including uh, hard, conversa- hard conversations. And so, uh, so we'll have one right now. How's that sound? Yeah, happy Mother's Day. This is how we do it here at Desert Springs. So, uh, so big picture, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at uh, why it is that we as a church family keep leaning into these hard conversations, especially about reconciliation or mending broken relationships. We know that mending broken relationships is often difficult. It's often something that we would rather ignore than look at. And yet there's a beauty, there's a joy, and there's a power in it. And we believe that Jesus is exalted as, uh, as we're able to reconcile relationships. Uh, and so just to kind of start us off here, um, we are going to uh, look at ancient views of divine warfare to help us understand how to reconcile our relationships. Now, I, I, most of you are saying, well, of course. Right? Uh, I mean, of course. Okay. But some of us maybe are thinking like that. Seems strange. And I, if you'll just give me 30 minutes, I think that together we will find that there is a level of understanding power and beauty behind the scripture that we're going to engage today, which is Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3. Did the pastor just say three chapters? Yes, he did. And here we go. So, to start, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created people. And in his infinite wisdom and artistry, God, as the master artist, created humanity not homogenous, but diverse. He created us diverse. He, he created age ranges, and so that as we age, we're kind of in different generations. He created us with different ethnicities and different places around the globe and different nationalities, different cultures, different genders, different likes and preferences. God, in his infinite beauty and wisdom, created us beautifully diverse. And in that diversity, we are to see God's creative hand. However, this may come as a shock, in this present uh, time, rather than viewing those differences as uh, things to worship God for, things to elevate God for, instead of seeing those differences as something beautiful, these differences between us often get leveraged so that one group is placed above another. And it's usually leveraged for things like power or influence or whatever. And so we live in a moment where we look at our differences, generally speaking, we look at our differences not with curiosity and beauty, but with suspicion. Is it not the case that over the last year we have discovered fractures in our lives? in our relationships, brokenness in our relationships. Have we not experienced that? Uh, We removed this carpet here just a few weeks ago because when you remove the carpet on top of any sort of foundation, when you remove the carpet, what's true about the foundation is exposed. Now, the removal of the carpet did not create the division or the cracks in the concrete. It exposed it, and thanks be to God that 2020 and all the trappings of 2020 
Expose the divisions between us because you cannot heal a division until it's exposed, until it's brought out into the light. You cannot find healing, mending broken relationships until the brokenness is exposed. And my encouragement to you today is to find a sense of uh, peace in the Lord, to find a place of power in the strength of the Lord as we as a people continue to move into these spaces of reconciliation, mending broken relationships as it relates to people groups. And for the next uh, two or three weeks following today, we're actually going to focus on mending interpersonal one-on-one broken relationships. But today, I just want to kind of take a step back and look at how it is that God has designed the church to be a place where people groups can come together and find reconciliation. And it's going to be uh, totally tethered to ancient views of divine warfare. At Desert Springs, we talk about things like ageism, which separates people based on age. Have you guys ever heard derogatory uh, terms used for different generations? <laughs> right? How, do, how in, in the public uh, mind, how do boomers and millennials seem to be getting along? Right? And those are the, the Gen Xers, uh, those of us who are Gen X in the middle are like, dang. So we talk about that. We talk about things like sexism, right? And in America, it's huge. We talk about ethnocentrism, racism, nationalism, all the things that not only put people into different categories, but use the differences between those categories in a negative light, that look upon the other with suspicion. And so what about that ancient view of divine warfare? Well, there's two things that we need to remember before we read Ephesians chapter 1. One of the things that we need to remember is this, that in the Bible, the biblical worldview, the, biblical, the way that the biblical authors viewed the world is that it's not just a physical space, but that the, that the cosmos, the created order, is both spiritual and physical, and that God had actually created spiritual beings. Uh, some of us may be familiar with the term like demon. You guys ever heard that? Um, okay, so that is one aspect or one manifestation of this spirit world or like angels or things like that. But there's this other category that's, that's more macro. It's more, it's more higher up. And, and they would use, see, in English, we don't really have a good translation. We would use the language of gods, like little g gods. That God, that, that Yahweh, the, the one true God, created these spiritual beings. And in the biblical mind, they understood, hang with me, I know this is weird. They understood that these created uh, spiritual powers, they would call them like powers and authorities or rulers, that these powers, authorities, and rulers actually uh, had control over or influence over cultures in different nations. They would use the language like the god of that nation or the gods of that nation. And in the ancient world, there were temples everywhere to these different gods. And the biblical authors believed that there were spiritual forces that uh, kind of like, did you guys ever see the movie Godfather? Yes. Right? Remember the, the, that the marionette was the, uh, the image of the Godfather, that secretly behind the scenes there was somebody, somebody powerful moving all the pieces around, right? So they, they had this idea that there were kind of like spiritual uh, uh, mafia bosses secretly behind the scenes moving all the pieces and chips around. And they also understood that these gods were in rebellion against the one true God. Now, if you, if you, if you, if, if, uh, now, some of us are saying, Campbell, you're out on a limb here. 
some of, again, many of us are feeling quite strange. I just want to encourage you to read your Bible. If you read your Bible, you will find this all over the place. In fact, you guys have ever heard of the uh, Ten Commandments? Ten Commandments. Uh, I'm the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. In their mind, in their worldview, there were other gods, and they were powerful, and they were controlling things, and they were influencing culture. They were turning people against each other. They were uh, uh, propagating injustice and violence and despair and misery, and that's what these gods were doing. And so the one true God comes to a group called Israel and says, follow me. I will be your God, and you will be my people. But they also had this idea that these gods would occasionally war with one another. And there is, there's, a, there's a handful of common themes that we see in ancient understandings of divine warfare. Number one, there would be, they would tell a story of the God claiming kingship, claiming authority. So claiming, what's the word? Claiming a Authority, kingship, okay? The second thing that they would tell stories about would be the, a conflict and a victory, right? There was a battle, and our God went to battle against their God or whatever, and our God won, right? A claim to victory. And in response to that victory, the people who followed after those gods or that God, they would celebrate by singing and feasting, eating together and singing together. And then the ultimate act of showing that your God won was to build a temple and to sing and feast in that temple. If you were to walk by a temple to Zeus or whomever, and you were to see a bunch of people feasting and singing and proclaiming the good news that Zeus had won, you you would assume that this people group believed that Zeus was the most powerful of the gods. Do you see? So let's read Ephesians chapter 1 and tell me if you think any of this is at play, all right? Okay, Caleb. <laughs> many, of us are feeling quite, many of us are feeling quite strange. I think that's totally fine. I think it is strange. Welcome to church. Let's go. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 through 21. Okay, so this is the Apostle Paul talking about Jesus. We're going to read a lot of Ephesians today. Actually, I think it's about a third of the whole thing. And we're going to go fast, but I really want you to see this, okay? I think this is, I, I love this. Okay, here we go. He, this is uh, God, exercised his power in Christ. Remember what's the first thing that would happen in this divine warfare language? A claim to what? Authority, kingship. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens. He's talking about a throne. Do you see it? Now, where is the throne? In the heavens. Good, let's keep going. For above Far above, (laughs) right? Who is Jesus as king sitting above? Notice this. Do you remember the biblical worldview? That they understood there to be powers and authorities that were at play, that were controlling culture, that were shaping things, that were turning in on humanity, that would turn humanity in on itself and against God. Do you remember that? See if any of that rings a bell here. Far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion. He is not talking only about earthly kings and queens. Do you see? Far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given. There's literally not another God you could name that would be over Jesus. Do you see the argument he's making? Okay. Every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So there's never going to be anyone who is above Jesus. Do you see this as a claim to authority? Okay, let's keep going. Now, remember the second thing, right? That there's conflict and victory, conflict and victory. 
And you, now speaking to you, the reader, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were, you were locked in. There's this biblical uh, idea that the author here is using that the state that you were in before the victory of Jesus was you were trapped in, you were enslaved to, you were dead in what the Bible would say is called trespasses and sins. You're just stuck under the rule and dominion of the power of evil. Do you see the rhetoric here? So there's conflict. You are stuck, held captive and enslaved by the power forces of evil. That was what you were. So another way to call that is dead in your trespasses and sins. Here's the conflict. In which you previously walked. According to the what? Ways of the world. Okay, now, now note this. The author is not using the word world to describe the planet. Okay, most of us have in our mind when we hear the word world, we think of the big pale blue dot image that we saw when we sent a camera to space and it turned around and took a picture of the earth. You guys know what I'm talking about? Paul is not talking about the earth. He's talking about the world's systems, right? The cultures of the earth that have been corrupted by the power forces and rulers and authorities that have turned people in on themselves and away from God. The ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts. This is someone, he's describing the state that we're in apart from the victory of Jesus. We are enslaved to the power structures of this world. Now, what does that look like as we think about human relationships? There's a few things. I'm going to use this language, and uh, we can talk after if you want to. Uh, have you guys ever heard the language of cancel culture? Cancel culture is this, and I think some people do need to get canceled, like Garth Brooks, but I think for most of the time, <laughs> cancel it. All country music, shut it down. Right? Repent and believe the gospel. That's what I say. Okay, now, but we are in a cultural moment where this is what's happening. If you say something I disagree with, that means you don't love me and I'm out. You say something I disagree with, then my assumption is you don't love me, and so I'm out. I'm going to cancel you. Now, I think that there are appropriate boundaries that people need to have, especially in abusive relationships. Don't hear me wrong in this. But right now, when we think about the differences between people groups, what we're doing is we're immediately, we're tempted to immediately dismiss the other, to cancel them, to not be in relationship with them. We also dehumanize people. The, are you guys familiar with the language of a straw man argument? A straw man argument goes like this. If I'm a speaker and I want to I win you over, I tell you that our enemy is all these things that may or may not be true or they're distortions of the truth right? Like country music. I'll do a straw man argument. All, the biggest threat to your children's future <laughs> is the propagation of country music albums. Country music albums are demonic. The scripture says so. All country music musicians are after you to get you. They want to take you over. I will protect you from the country musicians. Donate now. (laughs) That's a straw man argument. 
I've, de- I've, I've, I've taken myself away from reality. I've created a very unnuanced argument. By the way, how many country music uh, stars did you hear give a counter argument to what I just said? Zero. I can't let you listen to them because they're evil. And I've torn them down in front of you, right? But that's not, re- that's not reality, right? I've removed all nuance to give you confidence, and I've dehumanized the other. And as we think about the differences between people groups, that tends to be what happens. It tends to be that when we think about people groups who are different than us, our default is fear, not curiosity. Another way of this world, we isolate into sameness. We surround ourselves with people who agree with us, with people who affirm our prejudices. It is uncomfortable for me to be in relationship with people who are different than me. Amen? I don't like being uncomfortable. And yet, one of the ways that we're stuck in the ways of this world is to give ourselves over to sameness. And we're grasping for answers. I, I, um, I've said this before. I'd love to talk to you about it if you have questions. But one of the things that happened last year um, was that there, that there were uh, months long of protests in our city with people uh, in downtown Phoenix uh, crying out for a lot of different things, but primarily uh, for justice around uh, issues of racism. And, and I know that there was a lot of, uh, there's a lot of complexity and nuance to it, but I made a commitment along with a bunch of other pastors that when our, when our city is crying out and hitting the streets, we're, we're just going to be there, regardless of what the issue is. We wanted to be a Jesus-centered, calming presence in the midst of a lot of pain and fear, okay? And by the way, uh, I, I, I am trying to take my cue from Jesus that being present does not mean a tacit endorsement of everything that's being said or done. I've been to y'all's house. And being in your house doesn't mean that I approve of everything you're doing, right? So I don't believe that being present is the same as tacit approval. Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners. He was called a drunken and a glutton because of the people he hung out with. We wanted to do the same. So here's what I noticed, though, uh, attending multiple of these protests. There were hundreds, there were thousands, I think sometimes tens of thousands of our neighbors crying out for justice, crying out for reconciliation. And here's the question that I had at the time and that I've been thinking about for the last year. Why are they not looking to the church? There's all these accusations. Oh, there's Marxism and socialism and atheism, all the, all the accusations. I get that, I get that. It's important for us to notice. But why are they not looking at the church? Why, when those who cry out for reconciliation between people groups who are different than others, why are people not looking in our community, why are they not looking at the church? They're crying out for answers. And one of the reasons that we're crying out for answers but we can never really find an answer is because we're entrapped, we're stuck We are enslaved according to the power structures of this world. We feel trapped. Doesn't it feel like in these conversations about reconciliation, whether it's about generations or national uh, differences or ethnic differences, doesn't it feel like we're just stuck? Doesn't it feel like we're stuck? We're trapped. Okay, so let's keep going. But God, everybody say, but God, but God who is rich in mercy because of his what? Great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. We're no longer dead. Even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you are what? 
You're saved by grace. Conflict. We are entrapped by the power structures of this world. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. Victory. You and I are saved by what? The grace of God because he rose from the dead. Let's keep going. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were what? Far away, have been brought near. Doesn't it feel like as we think about these differences, all the ones that we've mentioned so far, that we're far away from each other? In Jesus, those of us who are far away are what? Brought near. Notice the language. This is not just far from God. This is far from each other. In fact, one of the things that you'll find consistently in Scripture is this truth, that oftentimes the biblical authors will tether together reconciliation with God with reconciliation with each other. I mean, it's all over the text. It's here too. Let me show you. Uh, for he, oh, um, been brought near by the what? Blood of Christ. For he is our peace. Notice the word. He's our what? Peace. Who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility? Do you see? The, the evil power structures of this world leverage our differences from one another, which were, God, were created by the, the great artist God to be celebrated, not to leverage for destruction. The power structures of this world create dividing walls of what? Hostility. In his flesh, he made no effect the law, consisting of commands and expressed regulations, so that he might create in himself one new humanity from the two, resulting in what? You want reconciliation? Start with Jesus. Let's keep going. He did this so that he might, now notice this, remember the, the ancient view of divine warfare. First, there's a claim to what? Authority, power, right? Kingship. Second, there's a conflict and a victory or at least a claim of victory. Hmm? And then third, there's celebration, there's singing and feasting, and the ultimate pinnacle of feasting and celebrating uh, to show off the victory of the God who won is to build a temple and to gather in that temple, to feast and to sing within the temple. Do you guys, you guys heard that before? Okay, let's keep that in mind. Here we go. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body, notice the language, one body through the cross, by which he put the hostility to death. The hostility between us is executed because Jesus was executed and rose from the dead. Let's keep going. He came and proclaimed the what? Good news of peace. I wanna, I'm going to zoom in here. Oh, my goodness. Uh, okay. I'm hearing people say things like, why do we talk so much about reconciliation? Is that really a gospel issue? And here's, here's how I understand the text. Absolutely 100% yes. The reconciliation between us and God and the reconciliation between each other is a gospel issue. Here it is. The gospel of peace. Peace between whom? Humanity and God and between who? Right? It's so tethered together in scripture that to extricate the two things I think would be foolish. He came and proclaimed the gospel, the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Let's keep going. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but what? Fellow, what's the word? Citizen, now we're going to go hard on the paint here in a minute, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's What? Say it with me. Household. Now, do you know what another way to refer to a temple is? 
the house of whatever God that you serve. Notice what's going on here, okay? We're about to get into that temple lingo. Remember the four things that we noticed about ancient divine warfare? Claim to authority, conflict, and then victory. The feasting and celebrating, the singing and feasting, and then building a temple, and then feasting and celebrating in the temple. Built on the, notice, God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building, the whole building being put together grows into a what? A holy temple in the Lord. What is the apostle Paul, the author of this text, what's he arguing for? He's arguing that Jesus beat all the evil power structures of the world. And where's the proof that Jesus beat all the power structures in the world? Remember that the evil power structures of this world, the princes of the power of the air, the the powers of darkness, what do they do? They take the differences between humanity, they saw open the divide, they leverage those differences to create animosity towards one another so we have walls of hostility as opposed to unity and beauty. Isn't that what the power structures of this world do? So how then do you prove that Jesus rose from the dead? You build a temple and then you sing and feast within the temple. Right? Now, notice something. Is this speaking about an actual temple? Like stone upon stone. Look at this. I'm going to go back one. Fellow citizens with saints, members of God's household, built on the foundation. Who is he talking about? He's talking about people being built into a temple. Let's keep going. Into a holy temple of the Lord. In him, you are also being built together. You and I are human stones being assembled together. As a, a, a human temple. And when we gather, and I'm not talking about this building, but when we gather, what are two of the key things that we do? We sing about the victory of God and we feast. And I know that this is not a feast. Thank you, COVID. I get it. Okay, we're going to do more of that when it's a little bit safer. But what do we do? We sing of the victory of God and we eat together. And here's how the victory of God is put on display. Let's keep going. I just want you to think, right? um, You guys been around Desert Springs for more than a few weeks. You've probably heard us say something like, we're a bunch of misfits bound together by nothing more than the love and grace of God made known to us through Jesus Christ. We do not share common affinities outside of Jesus. That's why I make you a 100% guarantee. I 100% guarantee that you will be sinned against by people in this congregation. And I'll be the worst offender. Because we're different than each other, aren't we? I'm going to say something. I probably said a dozen things already that make you go, and you're going to do the same thing. Listen, outside of the Gospels, the New Testament was written to address the divisions within the church that were caused by our differences. That's why you have all these letters, like Ephesians, is to help churches who are a bunch of misfits bound together by Jesus, learn how to grow in compassion and grace and understanding and humility because Jesus has so designed his church to be a holy temple of misfits. Now, watch this. 
How does this community know that Jesus is victorious over the powers of evil in this world? How does this community know that? They look at the temple feasting and singing and say, there is no power structure in the universe that could bring these crazy misfits together. Therefore, there must be something to Jesus. When we are bound together as a community of misfits, we put on display the power of Christ. Why do we so, why do we so frequently talk about reconciliation and, and hard issues that, that divide people? Because we believe that as a community of misfits, the more different that we are when Jesus pulls us together, it is in that moment that Jesus is glorified and the resurrection is put on display and his goodness, mercy, and grace are proclaimed to this community. There is nothing unique about a bunch of like-minded people gathering together. Let's keep going. Oh, I love this. Oh, man. Okay. Oh, I love this stuff. Okay, this grace was given to me, uh, this, to Apostle Paul, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the, the word Gentile is so weird, just means nations. To proclaim, proclaim to the nations the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's, now there's a word that we oftentimes translate manifold or multifaceted, but it could also just as easily be translated as multicolored. In fact, uh, in the Older Testament, um, uh, Joseph uh, has this multicolored coat. It's the same word just in Greek instead of Hebrew. So, so that God's multifaceted, like all the different aspects of a diamond, or multicolored or manifold wisdom may now be made known through the church to whom? Church is putting on display the power of Jesus to whom? When we are unified across our differences, we shame the devil. Reconciliation shames the devil and the power structures of this world. In the midst of all the tension and all the frustration and all the heat and all the anger and all the accusation, I know that's painful. I know many of us have been accused of things. I got accused one week in one week of being a fascist and a communist. I know, I, and I've been accused of so much more and so have you, and I know, and in that pain, in that moment, just remember this, why do we keep moving forward? Where is my motivation? It's in Christ. The power of the resurrection lives within you and me. And so I know it feels like we're stuck and we're so far apart, but there is no power structure in the universe that will conquer over Jesus. He is high. He is seated high and above all powers, all rulers, all authorities, all dominion. And so while those power structures may be turning us from each other, accuse, causing us to accuse each other, Jesus turns us back in so that we might find unity. And when we take communion, we put that on display. There is power in Jesus, and there is power to reconcile even the sharpest division. Rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purposes. Jesus has had this in his mind since the very beginning of time. His eternal purposes accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember that claim to authority. In him we have boldness and confident access to him. Boldness and confidence. Racism, nationalism, sexism, ageism, country music, all of it. It's all scary. It's all frustrating. It's all hard to talk about. But man. 
Jesus rose from the dead so we can have boldness and confidence when we step into these spaces of reconciliation. May it be so with us. Church family, I'm going to ask that you would, I'm going to ask the band to come out. I'm going to ask that you would take a moment and listen to this song. It's uh, Danny and the team, they're going to sing it, and they're going to sing it as a prayer and a blessing over you. And one of the key lyrics, one of the key lines is that when the lies speak louder than the truth, remind me I belong to you. When I can't see past the dark of night, remind me you're always by my side. We are the sons and daughters of God. He is with you. He is with us. Would you receive these words as a prayer?